Hi, I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations, and I just finished talking with Van Jones. Wow, what a conversation. I really think you'll like this one. So as you know, because you can hardly turn on the television without seeing him, Van is a political commentator on CNN. But as you'll hear, he's got so much else going on. He is president of Dream Corps and Rebuild the Dream, and you'll hear about that. As opposed to so many of the people we see and hear on TV and talk radio, this guy's out there getting it done. You might not agree with Van on every issue, but you'll have to agree there's real substance there. More biography. Van was President Obama's Green Jobs Advisor. You'll hear a little bit about that. He's also a best-selling author. I didn't even get to ask him at all about his books. There's just too much else to discuss around Trump and race and Hillary Clinton and progressives and the state of our nation and the turning point that we face in this election. In fact, I, I started by complaining to Van, you'll hear this, that he's awfully hard to describe. And he came up with a pretty great phrase to describe himself, an aspiration, I'd say. I'm sure he'd say it, too, but definitely a road he's already traveling. But what's so compelling about this conversation, at least to me, is the historical framing Van provides around this year's election. He's also got a message for progressives, the Bernie or bust folks. It's a message they might not love, but they'll get it straight from Van. Anyhow, I really think you'll like this conversation. But before we begin, some questions. Who will win the White House and what can we expect from the political conventions this summer? What about the House and Senate? People who want to stay ahead of the curve turn to the Cook Political Report, and with good reason. For 30 years, the report has nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer called it the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver noted, Few political analysts have a longer track record of success than the tight-knit team that runs the Cook Political Report. Little wonder the New York Times called it, quote, a newsletter that both parties regard as authoritative. People who make it their business to know politics make it their business to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Just go to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire. And now here's my conversation with Van Jones. How do you describe yourself? I mean, you're a very, you know, you're a hard guy to kind of nail down. I mean, I got commentator, I've got innovator, I've got entrepreneur. I've got, you know, I mean, agitator. You're, you're a tough guy to describe in, in, a, in an era when we want really neat packages and, and, and labels. I mean, you make it tough for people like me. Yeah, well, um, I'm a, a, a social entrepreneur, um, serially successful, built a number of change-making organizations, and um, I get to be on CNN and um, but, you know, hopefully at some point I'll uh, be considered a, a change maker. Right now I'm just a, a change aspirer, I guess. <laughs> change, ma- change maker would not be bad. I mean, that right, would be, right. that would, that would work well. I mean, you could put that on, uh, on LinkedIn or something. Yeah. Um, so let's start with the, the commentator portion. I mean, that's a, uh, you know, we, we've got a political audience here and, uh, um, you know, I want to talk about, uh, you know, your other work as well. Um, I, I, did you see, I don't know if you saw the story yesterday, but uh, Stephen Hawking's the uh, the physicist and cosmic genius and, you know, like one of the smartest people in the world was asked to explain Donald Trump and, and Hawking said that Trump was an impenetrable mystery. He flat out couldn't explain him. Um, if if Stephen Hawking's can't explain Donald Trump, what, what chance do, do folks like you or I have? <clears throat> 
Well, well, not much of one, but I believe he also said he was a demagogue. Yeah, um, yeah, he went. I mean, he, I guess he ended up finding some. Yeah, some, and, some I, words. and I, so, I, so I think that um, those those three syllables pretty much tell the whole story. And let's not forget, it actually takes um, Professor Hawking quite a bit of effort to communicate at all. It's not like he can, you know, talk. Um, yeah, you know, he has yeah. to, you know, very, very few muscles left to move to, to signal. So, if uh, a very serious person. Uh, exerts very serious effort to make a very serious accusation um, that he is a demagogue, which is the worst thing you can be. Um, you're someone who's going to whip up the population to do nefarious things for you know reasons that are are neither clear nor nor honest nor fair. I would, we should take it very seriously. I, I take it very seriously when someone like Professor Hawkins uh, weighs in. Um, it takes him a tremendous amount of effort to say anything at all. And he's trying to send a, w- a warning. We should take it seriously. So, so what's? I mean, you know, it's the obvious question. I know. I mean, I, I've I've watched so much of your commentary, and and I mean, you know, so many folks are, are trying to to make sense of it. So, so you know, at the highest level, simplest level, lowest level, wherever you want to put it, what's going on then? I mean, I mean, how are we? What I mean, what's going on where we are at a stage where you know, a, if he's a demagogue or or he's a fascist, or there's you know the the race elements and and I want to get your your views, you know, obviously on that as well. Um, what's going on? What's going on with where we are as a country? Would you have expected? I mean, you've been doing this a long time. Is this where you have, would have ever expected uh, our country to be at at, at this time? Uh, well, no, not in a happy moment. I wouldn't have. Um, you know, listen, uh, it's, it's you know three things. You have um, a lot of economic pain in the country. And, um, you know, the financial collapse hurt a lot of people, but there was a long-term decline before that. Um, the president with limited tools and no cooperation from, from the, um, from Congress was able to help us fight our way back to, you know, close to zero, but that's not where anybody wants to be. We've had, you know, know, months and months of, of, of job growth, but, you know, not enough and the pay's not enough and people are, are suffering. So that's the, the big factor. Um, then on top of that, you have not just the economic anxiety, but you also have this kind of racial, cultural anxiety as um, the, the complexion of the country changes, literally. Um, and uh, people who used to not be heard from at all, um, they were the, in the help or they were the helper, they were the, in the fields or whatever, you know, want to be treated like equal human beings. Um, and people whose relationships, um, you know, their their desire to marry, all these different things pushing their way from the margin into the center creates a level of, of demographic anxiety. And then on top of that, you put uh, social media. Um, you know, JFK was a master of television, FDR a master of radio, Obama a master of the Internet. You now have a master of social media and reality television uh, using what he knows works in the new media system to take advantage of both the economic and racial anxieties. And it creates a very toxic stew and the antibodies that uh, the country needs um, are, um, are are weak and out of practice. Um, it's been a very long time since um, you had a fascist uh, movement in the United States. It's been, frankly been a very long time since you had a socialist movement in the United States. But when the temperature gets this hot, um, when you're sitting on a white hot stove uh, people start reaching for anything, and the polls move um, further out to the right toward fascism, further out to the left toward socialism. 
And that's what happened. It's happening, you know, uh, anytime you have a, a, a wealthy country uh, beginning to slide down, um, the polls move. And Trump represents that uh, far right wing, uh, dirty right. I call it the dirty right tendency. You know, Paul Ryan, very right wing, but he's clean right. He doesn't traffic in a lot of racial demagoguery. He doesn't flirt with violence. Uh, Trump is the dirty right, which you've seen in Europe. You haven't seen here with the same level of, of strength. Um, trafficking in racial demagoguery and uh, flirting with violence, um, pulling down the uh, normal uh, 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 idea of civility, which is key to civilization. Um, and this is a very dangerous development. Yeah, and you haven't seen it here. I, I, I mean, you've seen it in 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 pockets, of course, in the margins. Yeah, in the margins, but you absolutely have not seen it mainstream. And I, I want to ask you about uh, the, the antibodies and and how those antibodies will get um, activated, right? I mean, if, if if it's a great metaphor that they, you know, they're kind of there. We have them in our in our system, but they haven't needed to be activated in. Uh, you know, decades, let's say, or, you know, it's maybe a stretch. I mean, there've been various issues, obviously, but, but, but they haven't been, but before, before I, I get to that, um, I mean, you mentioned Obama and, and, you know, obviously you can't, you can't speak for him. I, I've been finding myself wondering a lot, just, you know, and, and what he must be feeling. I mean, here's a guy who has given, you know, you know, he's given so much of his life to bring people together um, you know, what he represents, uh, what he accomplished, uh, you know, certainly on domestic policy. And yet, as he's exiting, um, this is what's going on. And, and I know I, you know, we, you know, the, the, his ability to get things done and, and the intransigence on, on, you know, on the right that, and that the lack of support that he's gotten within Congress, I mean, that, that's all there. But in the end, he, you know, I assume, I don't know him, you do. Uh, he's a guy who must think about, you know, he wants to leave every, you know, I assume that he's, he's looking to leave and feels he has left the country better off than when he arrived. And yet this is going on. Um, how did, what do you, do you ever think about that or what do you make of it? What, what do you, well, what's he thinking? I, mean, I, I, I definitely cannot speak for yeah. him and wouldn't, wouldn't, but I tell you, um, for, I think most people, uh, it's shocking, uh, to have the kind of breakthrough that we had in 2008. Um, and now to be on the verge of this kind of breakdown, if what you believe about America is that, um, we started out with this sort of, um, uh, almost a nightmare scenario where in order for the the first founders to have a republic, they had to make this deal around keeping uh, hundreds of thousands of people enslaved. Um, if, that, if that strikes you as you know, some great, uh, you know, a, a wonderful thing, there's probably something wrong with you. Most people think that is a huge blight on the founding, and, and the founders themselves felt that way. Jefferson himself, uh, who was a slaveholder himself, felt um, badly about that outcome. And so if you imagine a big part of the American story is trying to move from that founding reality, which is a nightmare, more toward the founding dream of equality, then the Obama breakthrough is an important thing. Um, and if the, the next you know, scene in the play uh, yeah, is an unrepentant bigot um, trafficking in all kinds of, of hatred winds up being the, the successor that is also a very significant thing. So it's a shocking development. People really, we've gotten to the point now where, um, you know, you cannot call overt, blatant bigotry, bigotry without someone saying you're playing some kind of a card. 
I mean, and so that is very, very bad because, listen, if somebody says all Muslims cannot come to the country, even one from Indonesia, I mean, <laughs> like, if, if that isn't bigotry, if I say all white people suck, um, that makes me a bigot. Um, if I say the Klan sucks, it makes me an intelligent person. If I say all Muslims suck, I'm a bigot. If I say Al-Qaeda sucks, I'm an intelligent person. So if, if I say Wahhabi, the Wahhabiist uh, you know, folks mm-hmm. suck, I'm an intelligent person. So we've gotten to the point now where when someone says something that is by definition bigoted, but you can't call them that because someone will then say, well, you're a PC person, you're a racist yourself playing some sort of a card then your ability to have an intelligent conversation has been erased from the, the, the public. And over these past eight years, the right-wing media, for you know, whatever virtues they may have, of you know, making sure that there is a, you know, a healthy debate in the country, have too often allowed insane levels of contempt to be expressed and unchallenged and encouraged against this president as if we actually have a traitor in the White House, as we actually have someone who wasn't, you know, is not even qualified to be president because of their birth. All these things begin to erode people's faith in institutions. And so, you know, if we do have some illegitimate traitor in the White House who's trying to destroy America and hand it over to Sharia law, well, then why haven't the Republicans impeached the guy? So when you let that kind of nonsense go on, you lose control of the whole party. And that's what happened. Um, they got too cute by half, too clever by half, playing all these games to whip up irrational opposition to the president. And now that fire has is, is consumed their party. Uh, they're trying to pretend that, you know, that their pants aren't you know, smoking. But uh, the reality is that nobody, uh, you know, eight years ago, if you told them that someone like a Trump would be leading the Republican Party, very few of the party elites who signed off on this strategy of obstruction would have been happy. Yeah, and and I mean the fires, the the fire is burning, and and you know putting that fire out is is looking harder and harder. So go, going back to your metaphor um, and and the antibodies. So what you're talking about, and there's few who would disagree. I mean the the, the you know the the levels of um, uh, you know outrage and even just downright hate that that you hear on on talk radio, and you hear it on the you know you can hear it on in certain ways on on the left as well. But I understand what you're saying. In terms of uh, uh, you know conservative talk radio and and you know that sort of thing and, and social media, um, I would assume equally that you, you know you wouldn't say that that um, you know shutting down that type of speech is is not only probably impossible no, no, but no, yeah no. it's not it's I, I hear you that's not what you're saying so 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 where where well, do the antibodies but that's what it, well yeah the, yeah. the antibody yeah. it's not it's not about censorship yeah but frankly of we do have um, a problem on the left now where you do have some uh, uh, left movements that just want to shut anything down that, that, that yeah. they don't want to hear and they want to shout down speakers and they they want to you know prevent people from being invited to campuses and I think that's all very wrongheaded um, because all you do is make martyrs out of fools when you do that um, it's much better to let idiots come and, and say whatever they're going to say and then have counter speech and to have that debate and to realize every generation has to have these debates um, than to say that we're just not, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to talk about it anymore. And there's also this desire you know, to have the, you know, safe spaces and this sort of thing. I totally agree that there need to be some spaces where everyone can feel comfortable and where everyone can feel um, uh, respected and not have to have their basic humanity under assault. Unfortunately, the public square is not one of them uh, in the public square. 
um, uh, it's not meant to be comfortable. Um, it's supposed to be a contentious marketplace of ideas, even horrible, bad, awful, you know, hateful ideas. The problem is that um, we do not have enough effective counter speech. In other words, civil society is failing. Its job to um, insist that Trump and Trump type of uh, speech stay within its appropriate, very, very marginal borders. Um, you know, one would expect one would have expected the entire religious community um, of all yeah. faiths, yeah, across the board, yeah. across the board of all faiths, to come out and say this sort of of, of religious intolerance um, is is not godly, is not um, uh, appropriate, and to say you know with with one loud thunderous voice, none of this, especially now that you have the nominee. Uh, the presumptive nominee, none of this um, is appropriate. You haven't seen that. You would expect it for every university president, um, most of whom have Muslim students on their campuses, to come out in a very forceful way and say, this is not appropriate. Uh, we don't accept it. You would expect that you know, any number of the, uh, frankly, generals and, uh, and veterans organizations to come forward and say, this is not what we fought and, and bled and died for. And yet you've seen this appalling silence. And that, uh, because I think, just like with other um, authoritarian strongmen, usually people believe in their country, oh, it can't happen here. You you think about Chile. um, You know, in Chile, you know. Pinochet. uh, Yeah, before Pinochet. It was, you know, a middle-class, prosperous country with, you know, long traditions of democratic debate and art and everything else. And three years later, it was a nightmarish hellhole because people just refuse to look at the oncoming train and, and accept that what is happening is happening. And so we have to shake people up to say this is not funny, it's not a joke, there's no comparison between the kind of threat that this sort of thing would pose and anything that is you know, normal in politics. Um, it, it is, if you have a Donald Trump elected president what that means is that it is now legitimate in the United States to uh, attack Muslims, to attack Mexicans, to be completely contemptuous of, of a free press, to do all to, to be a misogynist, to be a bigot, to be an ignoramus, and be president of the United States. Now, how do you raise children in that environment? Why? And then coming soon to a school board near you is the same politics. Coming soon to a city council, a state rep- uh, a state legislature, a governor's race is the same politics, because now that politics becomes you know, absolutely, not just normalized, but it becomes the center of all politics. So people, oh, well, I don't like Hillary Clinton, and I don't like this, and blah, blah, blah. You are not thinking about what happens tomorrow if, in fact, um, uh, good Republicans and independents and Democrats don't stand together to, to stop this. Um, if he's defeated, you, do the, you, know, you deliver a huge blow to you know, uh, intolerance and to stupidity and to manipulation, um, but and and then the character of the country is is, is different. But this is a very very pivotal um, election, and I do want to say yeah. that there are progressives who continue to underestimate the threat, and I, I don't think that we have yet thought through what it would mean to have this man with the FBI, the CIA, the NSA the Pentagon, the IRS, all in his pocket. He doesn't have to go to Congress to get them to do anything. He doesn't have to go to Supreme Court. Just he can wake up in the morning and have those five institutions do pretty much whatever he wants. 
to have someone this intolerant of dissent already, you can't even tolerate a question from an ABC or CNN reporter at an open press conference. He's not even president yet. Yeah. To have someone that intolerant with that much power by itself before you even talk about the Supreme Court, before you even talk about passing laws, just what he could do with executive authority is just horrifying. And so in that statement, which I totally understand, you're calling out and asking about progressives on that. Are you talking – and this is an area that I think where you're going. It's one of the things I wanted to ask you about, about the Democratic Party and about Democrats coming together. Are you kind of talking – are you talking to Sanders supporters there? Are you saying you know, at some point – you know, on on the left or within the Democratic Party, um, you know, there needs to, there's a need to come together. What, what were you saying about progressives on that? I am saying that because there are important voices on the left that um, you know are calling themselves Bernie or bust mm-hmm. that they can't yeah. have Bernie Sanders. They don't. They they'll accept Donald Trump. That they won't do. They won't raise a, a, a finger to help a Hillary Clinton uh, stop a Donald Trump. And I just think that that is, is, is wrong-headed in the following way. They say, well, they don't want to be forced into the lesser of two evils. I, I think that's, that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is what is the better of two strategies? Not the lesser of two evils, but the better of two strategies. If you put a Trump in, you, know, you have all the things I just described. And then if you're on the left, what are you supposed to do? Every week, a new bad bill will be presented. And every week, a majority GOP uh, Congress will pass it like a knife through butter, and then um, and then Trump will sign it. And then what are you supposed to do? You're going to go protest? Donald Trump loves protests. You can put 100,000 people in front of the White House. He'd say, great. Um, so you have no ability to stop the legislation. Even your protest won't be meaningful. Meanwhile, if you have a Hillary Clinton there, whatever her uh, faults and flaws, uh, she's got to run for re-election inside the Democratic Party. She's got to deal with a potentially a Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in the Senate. Um, you can put a tremendous pressure and leverage over her. You, you can't get her to do everything, but you can certainly get her to do some things and stop her from doing others. So is the better strategy to have a Democrat that you may not like and that you may have real reservations about, but who you have some leverage over, or to have an authoritarian you know, thug in office who can come after you and your not-for-profit organization and your dissent and your podcast tomorrow. It doesn't make sense to me to, to allow that second strategy when you can have the first. I, I hear you on that, and and even just listening to your argument, and and you know thinking about if I'm you know on the Sanders, you know Bernie or Bust, I'm on that progressive. What you're what you're arguing is total is a is a logical you know strategic view, and but but it's not necessarily an inspiring view. It's not it's not saying there's a positive movement here and let's get you know, let's all get behind this and, and you know, keep hope alive. It's a real pragmatic and, and so will people does that get people to the voting booths? I mean, just you know, keeping on a practical level, is that is pragmatism is is strategic outcome enough? Is that gonna get people you know, off their off their couches first Tuesday in November and, and into a voting booth? Well, it's hard for me to know. I, all I can say is it's, it's reality. And, um, and the other thing is that the movement, some weird thing has happened, I think, where suddenly the only thing that – the fetishization of your vote for president, that the only actor in the world that can make a difference is the president of the United States. And, so, and the only act that you can have that makes a difference with regard to the president is your vote. So 
you wind up with this sort of Mickey Mouse, you know, elementary school kind of version of politics where it's like, if I don't, you know, it's like, if I don't love everything about the president, then I can't be inspired and I can't do anything. And that's not true. In fact, um, most of my life until Obama came around, I usually, you know, the president was kind of a disappointment to me, um, <laughs> uh, whether Republican or Democrat. And um, I had to vote strategically, vote defensively under the following understanding. Number one, the voting booth is not the place I'm going to get everything I want, but it is a place I can lose everything I've got. You see, the voting booth is not the place I can get everything I want. There's a lot of stuff I've got to go and organize for. I've got to march for. I've got to you know, build a business for. I've got to deal with the school board for, the PTA. There's a, I can't get everything I want out of the voting booth in a national election, but I can lose everything I've got. We can wind up in a dumb war, an economic depression. We can cook the planet. There's a lot of things that, that, that I can lose there. So number one, there's that. Number two, if you look for inspiration, you say, I want inspiration. That's, man, that may be true, but that is depressing. But I want inspiration. Well, then fine. Let's look where the inspiration is actually coming from. These grassroots movements, whether you're talking about the dreamers that have completely changed the conversation on immigration, whether you're talking about Black Lives Matter that have at least you know, made it safe to talk again about black issues, because for a while it seemed like you know, that was gauche because we had a black president. You can even talk about black issues. The LGBT movement, the, the resurgent climate movement for climate solutions and against climate disruption, um, you know, uh, uh, idle no more, the Native American resurgence that's going on. If you look at the, where the inspiration is coming from, it's coming from all of these movements that have been growing in the safety of the Obama firewall, behind the safety of that Obama firewall. Beautiful movements have been rising up and will continue to rise up and make incredible change unless that firewall comes down. And suddenly you've got all the crazies plus Donald Trump sweeping us all back out to sea. And so let's just be honest about how change happens. You've got to have a president who's willing to be moved and a movement willing to do the moving. And the idea that the president is supposed to be both the executive and the leader of your movement and the source of your inspiration and your – I mean, that is ridiculous. That is not how this country is supposed to work. The president should be willing to be moved. Trump would be unwilling to be moved. The president needs to be willing to be moved, LBJ. But you also have to have a movement to do the moving, MLK. Um, it's that formula that has given us all of our success. Obama was willing to be moved, but it took the dreamers to really move him on immigration. And some would say, given his level of deportation, they did not do enough. Obama was willing to be moved, but it took Black Lives Matter to come out for him to really make that central to his presidency. Obama was willing to be moved, but it wasn't until the 350.org kids jumped out there on the Keystone Pipeline and revived the movement for climate solutions that you saw him recapture that uh, passion for the issue. Um, LGBT movement, um, willing to be moved, but it wasn't until right on the edge of 2012 that he said he had a personal preference for marriage equality. Now he's out there defending the transgender movement, willing to be moved, but you still need a movement to do the moving. And that has been, I think, uh, where we, you know, we've got to – the antibodies come from that understanding. The antibodies come from the understanding that you have a responsibility to fight across the board, to speak out in your academy, in, your, your, I mean, in, in the academy, in your, your houses of worship, in your barbershops, in your nail salons, in your, in your home, on Twitter, on Facebook, for things you believe in, 
that's only one thing, though. You also have to vote. That's only one thing. You also have to you know, be uh, a part of, your, your, of, of public life. Um, you've got to you know, get out your house sometimes and do some stuff, but that's one thing. And all of these things add together. And sometimes you vote for somebody you're passionately in love with, and sometimes you vote for somebody because they're better than the other person, but they all add up to a society that can work. And we are now in great, great danger. I mean great danger of having the best people in our country uh, fail to rally to the cause of stopping an authoritarian proto-fascist from taking over because they are less interested in um, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton than they want to be, or they're less passionate about Hillary Clinton than they want to be. Suddenly, this one person, uh, for you know, all of her greatness and all of her flaws, is more important than the entire fate of the republic and what will happen to Muslim children in America and Muslim families in America when they hate mongers as president. What will happen to Latino and Latina children in America when they hate monger got elected by attacking them? Those children are more important to me than Hillary Clinton's you know, uh, inconsistencies. And those children are more important to me than the purity of my hand when it comes out that ballot uh, voting booth. And I think that we need to remind people as progressives, our responsibility is to the people, not to any politicians and to have a strategy and a movement that will help the people, regardless of whether you like the politician uh, today, tomorrow, or the next day. And, and do you see that out there? Are, are there, I mean, that, that was, you know, that was impassioned stuff that, that you just, you know, and it's not the first time you, you've said it. And, and are, do you see that kind of, do you see that out there? Do you see progressives, you know, are, are they saying, you know, are they maybe, okay, look, we got California and, and I, you're, you know, you're a California uh, guy for a large part at this point, yep. I believe. And, and yep, yep. I think you're even yep, out there yep. now. So are you, what are you seeing? I mean, is it kind of like, let's go through, let's, let's get through uh, June 7th and, 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 you know, see what happens, make sure of, you know, it right. Will take, it will take some healing because unlike in 2008, where you essentially were dealing with, you know, what flavor of ice cream do you want? You know, yeah. Hillary Clinton or Obama. Yeah. Um, but you're getting ice cream. This, to most Democrats, feels like, you know, caviar and corn dogs. I mean, very different kind of candidates. So what, what will um, it take? Will, will some planks in the Democratic platform be enough? Uh, it, it, some... Um, uh, it will take just some time and some digestion. Um, the reality is Hillary Clinton wants to try to move folks around policy points. Oh, well, here's this plank, here's that plank. These are mostly process people. The Bernie Sanders people don't care as much about the yeah. planks as they care about the process, the big money and the influence of that, whether the umpires were fair in all yeah. the states, whether the DNC chair is fair, or Schultz, yep. fair. Yeah, so, so, so you've got, some, you've got a, a, a policy deal maker in Hillary talking past the process heartburn of the Sanders people. And so there's going to take some back and forth for them to really understand each other. But you know, I think it will come around. The challenge, though, is not about the voting. It's about the volunteering. Yep. Um, it, you know, fine, you know, people may go and drag themselves and you know, hold their nose and vote if they live in a swing state especially. But, you, but that's by then the, the battle's over. You need coming out of that convention for people to go out and volunteer and to really take up the cause and that is still in the balance, and that's why I'm so passionate. Is there the time? I mean, you know, we're, we're it's June. You know, the convention is is July. And, I mean, it'll take time. Healing takes time. Is I mean, how do you compress it? How do you compress the type of healing that needs to occur in what's now an even shorter period of time than than most folks expected? 
Well, my expectation is that, that Donald Trump you know, will, will help us quite a bit. <laughs> I don't know if you saw his, his despicable performance of this week, yeah. attacking the free press, um, saying he's going to do that when he's in office. Um, I was on television last night right after one of his young veteran supporters explicitly called for the killing of innocent Muslims. Um, yeah, and you know, I saw your tweets on that, yes. I mean, I mean, so just really, really despicable stuff. So, you know, at some point, uh, and we haven't even talked about the Supreme Court, I mean, le- unless someone forget, um, he will definitely get, if Trump wins, at least one Supreme Court appointment, but probably two and maybe three. And in that case, you're talking about Roe v. Wade being gone forever, possibly within the next 24 months. In that case, you're talking about um, Citizens United, which is hanging by a thread, becoming the rule of the land forever, so big money forever. And the Voting Rights Act, which has been shot full of holes by the Supreme Court, um, never being able to be revived. So you're talking about big money in politics, little people out of politics, and a huge hole in the rights of women. All just, And that's just the Supreme Court. That's before you get to... Um, the, the, the stock market uh, going into the toilet because of erratic behavior in the White House before you get to our allies feeling like they do not know that they can trust um, the United States and turning to each other and others. A massive loss of geopolitical standing, um, huge blows to the economy. I mean, before you even get to any of that stuff, just with the Supreme Court, he can do generations worth of damage. I think, uh, and he's, he's completely uninterested in pretending he's going to be anything other than the buffoon you see right now. Um, and so that, that's, you know, when somebody tells you who they are, you should take them seriously. The people, oh, well, he'll be better once he's in office. Well, they said he'd be better once he got the nomination. And he got the nomination, and he's worse. And he will be worse as president if he ever gets there. Van, what is Dream Corps? The Dream Corps is a support center. You can find it at the Dream Corps, like Marine Corps or, or Peace Corps, C-O-R-P-S. The dreamcore.org and it's a support center for a number of initiatives our basic slogan is closed prison doors and open doors of opportunity and so we have two initiatives that are focused on closing prison doors one is hashtag cut 50 we're working with republicans as well as democrats to cut the prison population in half safely responsibly frankly using measures that red states have have been using the past couple of years to get you know a lot of the minor offenses um, out of there um, number two, we have something called Beyond Prisons, which is more of a, of a media campaign. But on the opening doors of opportunity side, we also have um, Yes, We Code, which is working to get urban young people ready for jobs in Silicon Valley, working with 15 technology companies, including Twitter and Pinterest on that. And we have um, Green for All, which is working to get solar energy and solar jobs into low-income low communities. So between uh, Beyond Prisons and Cut50, working to get the prison population down, and between uh, Yes, We Code and Green for All, working to get the opportunity up, we are really trying to make a, a big difference in commun- communities, especially low-income communities and urban communities. Which of those, I mean, you tie together in a narrative, you know, three potentially really disparate ideas, right, coding and environment and, and you know, trying to address the prison issues. Um, and, and obviously, you know, it's a, it, it becomes a, a, a compelling narrative. Um, which of these are, are kind of getting traction in your mind? I mean, obviously, Green, green for All has been, you know, you've, you've written on that. You've done quite a bit on that over the years. Um, where do you see the momentum in each of those uh, efforts? Well, you know, they're all um, kind of 
cutting edge right now. The criminal justice reform was off the radar screen two years ago when we launched our initiatives and played a huge role. You know, Newt Gingrich and I were on television together for about a year with a TV show called Crossfire. Yep. And, um, and we became very good friends. We, you know, we don't agree on much, but we definitely agree that um, having a big failed government program called the prison system, gobbling up money and making people's lives worse um, is, is neither good for, uh, that violates conservative and liberal principles. Um, so we got a chance to work together on that. That's been huge. And we've got legislation in front of uh, Congress right now that may pass that would, would begin to roll back some of the, the dumber parts of our prison system. That's hot right now. Been a huge conversation in Silicon Valley about diversity, but we actually have some practical things that can be done about that. So that's getting real momentum. And then, you know, the, the climate disruption, um, I don't call it climate change anymore because people always say, oh, well, things always change. Okay, well, how about this? It's climate disruption. And um, it's becoming you know, more and more obvious to more and more people. And the solutions... Uh, the climate solutions are becoming more and more profitable for more and more people. So we want to make sure that um, communities don't get left out of the, the opportunity side of that. And we're finding huge support there as well. So I feel very good about that side of life. And that's part of the thing that I, I tell people is like, if you get involved in the community and you find local not-for-profits and you find uh, local leaders to, to support, I think everybody um, can, you know, can and should and will have to step up and do more than we have done um, because the level of pain in our country for ordinary people is going to get worse no matter who the president is because technology is sucking up so many jobs. Your enemy is not a Republican or a Democrat. It's a robot that is going to take your job or your kid's job. It's artificial intelligence. It's going to take your job or a kid's job. Um, you're going to be a happy consumer, but you're going to be a very frightened worker. Um, going forward. You have an app to do everything except give you a job. And that's where we've got to start focusing our energy and our attention. And, um, and, but in, until we settle out some of these, you know, this, this tribalism in our politics, it's not even partisanship, it's tribalism now, no matter what the person and the other tribe does, they're wrong and I'm right. Until that tribalism gets sorted out and until we figure out um, a new consensus of how we deal with all these people who are going to be forced out of work by globalization and technology, then it's going to come down to um, community-based efforts as well. And what can we do to help each other? And the big thing on the table, and I know you got to go, but the big thing on the table is very simple for America. Are we going to turn to each other or on each other in this crisis? Right now, you have grassroots movements out there saying, let's turn to each other. Let's try to help each other. Let's try to work together. Let's try to listen to each other. Let's try to respect each other. That is, the, I put my bet on those grassroots movements and those communities, those good folks, no matter how they vote, out there trying to make things better. And then you've got a guy who says, let's turn on each other, turn on the Mexicans, turn on the Muslims, you know, turn on the media, turn against you know, our, our best traditions. And that has to be defeated. And that is bigger than Democrat versus Republican. And it's bigger than Hillary versus Trump. It's which part of America is going to win, which, 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 what is our true character? What is the soul of the country? And, um, and, and that to me are, are the real stakes for 2016. Fan, thank you. Thanks so much for uh, the conversation. It's a, it's a big deal. There's, uh, it's, a, it's a pivotal, it's a big deal. And, and you framed it, uh, you, you really framed it. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. 
There it was, didn't I tell you? That was a great conversation with Van Jones. My thanks to Van for taking the time, and my thanks, as always, to the Cook Political Report. We really appreciate their support, and we hope you'll join us for the next one. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Thank you.